Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. On today's program, we welcome David Yang and Nimit Maru. They are the co-founders of Full Stack Academy, an immersive software engineering school, or a coding boot camp, if you will, in Lower Manhattan. They met on the first day of their freshman orientation at the University of Illinois, and each earned BS degrees in electrical engineering and computer science from Illinois in 2004. Nimit also holds an MBA from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. David and Nimit have collaborated on at least five startups and have a combined 17 years programming, both professionally and as hobbyists. They have built large e-commerce apps, an educational games company with 6 million plus players, enterprise healthcare software, and more. They've worked together at Yahoo on startups and went through the Y Combinator in Silicon Valley where Full Stack Academy was born in 2012. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. It's great to be here, Mike. Thank you. Well, first off, uh, it seems, and we feel it here at the University of Illinois, that uh, the coding is all the rage. So just talk about what the environment is like as far as uh, people interested, either coming out of high school or uh, mid-career deciding they want to code. Well, I can tell you the story of how Full Stack uh, all began. And th- 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 this is David Yang for, for the audio listeners. Um, I was visiting Nimit on Wharton's campus in 2012, and I remember all his friends in the business school were sensing that they need to learn how to code to even be viable for non-coding jobs, product manager jobs, marketing jobs. And so Nimit and I just almost on a whim started teaching programming classes at Wharton Business School um, in a, almost in a pirated way, right? We, were, we would commandeer classrooms and start um, and put up posters and just start teaching classes on campus. I hope I don't get your degree in any trouble there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I mean, I think what we found um, is that working directly with student groups was, you know, it cut through a lot of red, uh, red tape in the beginning before, uh, before we had a brand name and such. Um, eventually, we were able to work, direct, like, for example, at, at Harvard Business School, um, we worked directly with the administration who kind of sponsored our class for the students. Um, but in the beginning, it was just much faster to work directly with student groups. Um, but I, but it, was, it was crazy how um, quickly the demand grew and people from other business schools would just reach out to us and, said, and say, hey, I heard you're doing this at Wharton. Can you do this at Harvard or MIT, NYU, or Columbia? So in 2012 was kind of when we had that first um, aha moment that coding was really in demand just as a general skill and it's it's just really been an um, incredible ride just to see how much demand there is and interest across every, every sector and every every demographic about learning how to code okay well we did give you uh, give our uh, audience a little bit of background uh, on each of you uh, but before we go any further I, I want you to just to expand on some of the projects that you have worked through together and you just talk about it obviously began on the campus of the University of Illinois what were some of the things you did while you were here and uh, lessons that you learned along the way that uh, you know kind of led you to this point well you tell the stories you tell it so well about how we met (laughs) so I I I mean I I can tell you how we how we met and um, is that we were both running for the executive board of the engineering freshman committee um, and today I like to fondly think of it as like the, the, the head nerds of the nerds. Um, I think that it was, um, it was natural. It was a natural place for both of us to get involved. 
Um, and, and, you know, so, so the story goes of, of this is like the first week of, of undergrad and, um, and we're both sitting in the elections for this executive committee. So I, I was running for, I think it was like the, the web development chair or something. And, and David was running for the um, EOH um, engineering chair, basically, like for the EOH competition, uh, engineering open house competition. And, and so I had just finished my kind of election speech. And, you know, I, I was kind of on that high of finishing the speech. And I came down to sit down um, back to my chair. And then David was sitting on my um, kind of above me to the left, kind of taps my shoulder. And his first words to me were, um, what operating system do you run? And, <laughs> and I, I kind of looked back at him and I gave him this little look. And, um, and, and I, I, thought, I thought to myself, like, wow, he really gets me. Because, you know, that is probably one of the most important things that um, I would want to ask someone. To know about somebody. To know about somebody, yeah. And so, so you know, th that started, a, you know, a that and also being a part of the engineering freshman executive board together that year, like, started a, a, a long friendship. Um, something specifically that, that um, like, you know, we, we definitely worked on projects in the context of um, EFC. Um, David worked on something really cool uh, with the team for the engineering open house competition where they had to unscrew light bulbs, if I remember. Yeah. You guys got three or three and a half is it, light bulbs. Is the um, engineering open house still a big event on UIUC campus? Absolutely, it is. We're, we're actually approaching uh, our 100th anniversary of EOH. Wow. Okay, that's wow. Exciting. That's exciting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, you, at UIUC, we, we actually had a lot of um, opportunity, you know, even at things like ACM, um, the, the Microsoft puzzle competitions, um, things like that. And then uh, after we graduated, we both ended up in the Bay Area. David was on assignment with Deloitte and I had started working there for Yahoo. Um, and, you know, and we kind of got the band back together and we started working on more startups together after work. Eventually, I kind of convinced David to join me um, on my team at Yahoo. And so, and we also ended up working together. We were, our cubes were right next to each other um, in Yahoo. And, and there we started, uh, we were actually part of the kind of the hackathon movement. Like, you know, the whole hackathon movement kind of started at Yahoo with uh, something called Hack Days. Um, and we ended up winning one of the first Hack Days at, at Yahoo. And the project that we had created got green-lighted by Jerry Yang, who was a CEO at the time, to, to actually be made into a separate Yahoo product. Um, it was called Yahoo Map Mixer. And so that was really our first taste of working on something that was very, um, I mean, you know, it wasn't just like a side project anymore. Like it had to meet all the scaling and security standards that like, you know, Yahoo required. Like we had to, um, you know, go in front of hardware committees to kind of ask for the hardware that we needed. And it was really our first taste of, you know, entrepreneurship with like real, real users on the other end who have real demands. Um, and can, I think can you that, give our listeners a little bit yeah. uh, what, what you know, the winning entry entailed? Oh yeah, so um, I mean, today this is not gonna sound that exciting to any of the users, <laughs> but you have to remember this was uh, like 2006 um, when you know, uh, Google but, Maps had just come out. And the number one map tool at this point was still MapQuest for anyone who remembers. That's so. right, yeah, it was still MapQuest. Uh, that was the most popular map tool. And so what we allowed people to do is take um, one-off maps that you, you could download. Like for example, if that time, if at that time you wanted to visit UIUC, UIUC had a JPEG 
of its campus map available on the website, and you could kind of download it separately and or, or print it out. And then, but then if you would go to Google Maps or MapQuest, the whole UIUC campus was just a gray area. Um, and so you would have to use this like UIUC micro map to really know where to travel inside. And, and the same thing applied to, let's say, like malls or you know, other museums, kind of yeah, yeah. museums, like other places. And so okay. we, we built an application that allowed you to take all of these kind of separate maps and fuse them with the kind of the, the core map in a way that is, um, it actually like is correctly fused to the, to the map. Um, so that, you know, like the, uh, I don't know how, how, to, how to describe it, but. So the different layers of the map could be visible to the user that, you know, this area is not just gray, right? It could be a museum, it could be multiple floors. And so as you go around the map, it was a, it was an early attempt. Like, like an overlay? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Over, um, and oh, yeah, had, they used to call them map annotations as well at the time, like being able to draw on the map. Um, and so this was also, this was also that. It's funny, we actually have a patent on it um, through Yahoo that Yahoo, Microsoft, and Google have been fighting over for like the last 10 years because it's, you know, map overlays is, is big money now, so. Um, yeah. Although I would probably say, unfortunately, Yahoo's out of the game now. Um, but that's yeah. that's a different story. Yeah. Maybe that's what Verizon, that's part of the $4.5 billion <laughs> yeah, that's valuation. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I, I think people might be interested why, I mean, you're a, a few blocks away from Battery Park, lower Manhattan. Why there and not Silicon Valley? Silicon Valley would seem like to be the, the most optimum place to, to start a, a coding academy. Well, we have, a, we have two locations, one in downtown Manhattan and one in actually in Chicago. And um, our Chicago campus is really around the idea that of returning to Illinois and the tech community in Illinois. Uh, for New York, it was a mix of personal and also um, that, you know, the New York community was, was growing so quickly. And I think in that, like, you know, you want to look at size, um, kind of total size, but also growth rate. And the only two cities that were growing that quickly were New York and SF. And then we, um, we were choosing between those two and then it came up to New York, right? It's a little bit personal, a little bit of a yeah. bet on the ecosystem here and the community here. Like something that a lot of people forget when they're comparing the Bay Area and New York is that New York is, it's just so massive. Like New York is, you know, we think of LA, Chicago, New York in the same conversation, but New York is bigger than LA and Chicago combined. Um, and so, you know, when you're starting something like a school where you really want, um, where, you know, it does actually matter, you know, how many people are around you, how many, how many kind of ambitious, smart people are around you who, you know, who could do something like this. And so, you know, you were right. It was definitely, some of it was, uh, you know, like looking backward, everything is always 2020, but, you know, at that time, it, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of hunger and the, you know, the, the schools where we had started teaching were on the East coast. Um, so we had started at, you know, at Wharton, uh, HBS, NYU, Columbia, et cetera. And, and so it, it just seemed like a natural place to start. Um, and it actually turned out to be a very, um, it, you know, it turned out to be very fortunate because a lot of people who were having this similar thought, thought, obviously I should start in SF. And so the SF market started getting, you know, crowded early on very quickly, whereas um, like, the, like the, the, the New York market took a little bit longer. So you, you were established, though, at that point in doing a lot of these uh, sessions through, through other universities, as you talked about, on the East Coast. So talk about the, the infancy of uh, Full Stack Academy and, and, and what it was like to just to get this off the ground, because that's always the tough part. Well, I think we really liked working through um, the, 
the university channel just because, um, you know, it, it just felt cool to kind of be teaching inside a lecture hall at some a top university. Uh, the thing that uh, I guess it was, I was used to what annoyed us was that um, yeah, it was, we were just teaching a class late one night and a security guard at, I think it was a, was at, Warren. Harvard, at Warren, Warren, yeah. just kicked us out of the class before we were done. And <laughs> we were like, you know what, we want to own this experience top to bottom. And then we were thinking about what we want to do kind of with, and I think this is something that's true for entrepreneurs is that um, you sit down and think, if I'm going to do, be doing this for the next 10 years, what do I want to do? And another thing we, that in that conversation, what came to us is that we want to take people all the way, right? We don't want, we want to do like these seminar series at business schools for people who wanted to learn and get kind of their hands on coding. We wanted to make people as good of engineers as we could, um, where they could do the job of any software engineer and engineering person. So, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, some of it was also just our own personal enjoyment. Cause at the time, like David and I were the only teachers and we just realized that it is actually the most fun to work with students who are very passionate. They want to go all the way. I mean, if you ask any professor, you know, they'll say that it's the most fun to work with students who are just so into it that like, like, you know, literally our students will yell at us if we don't give them enough homework, you know, cause they're like, I'm sitting at home doing nothing. Like, what do you expect yeah. me to be doing? Um, and, and I think that it's just a different type of energy. And so we really decided to select the type of student who we thought could you know, really take it all the way who we could, you know, and this is how it turned into this idea of career change, um, which is that, you know, the type of student who could really go out there and get a job as a full-time developer. Um, okay. Yeah. So you hinted a little bit who your students are. Some of the, some of them are right out of high school. Uh, some of them are mid-career, 30s, 40s. Uh, what, uh, what, what do they get out of it? Is this a full type of uh, a degree experience? Is this a certificate? Uh, you know, what, what at the end, what will they graduate with? I would say, you know, while we do have students in uh, kind of the breadth of backgrounds and age groups and experience levels, um, kind of the average median student is probably, a, you know, one or two or three years out of college, out of undergrad. Okay. Uh, and, and the only reason I, I mentioned that is that, you know, oftentimes they have already had a job um, for, you know, a short period and they have kind of experienced the workforce already. And so, um, I mean, it, it's a small thing that's something that our employers appreciate, um, about, you know, somebody who's a, a bit more mature, but, um, what, what was the second part of this question? Um, the, what, what do they get out of the program? So I think what is, um, what was kind of crazy to us at the beginning is that the, the offering and the configuration of it, you know, three months intensive, um, work with people who are in the industry was so compelling that we didn't we didn't have certificates we didn't have accreditation I mean we were just kind of just two guys in a in a room talking about the cutting edge stuff just like actually teaching the knowledge yeah. right like it was just about the knowledge more than the paper okay over time we've you know we've gotten all the kind of licensure and things that certificates that we need so now you know we can issue certificates to our students but really what our students come to us is not for a piece of paper it's with the idea of, of of career change right and they measure us on our ability to change to get our students jobs in the field yeah and i think the you know our we've also been doing this for just a few years now enough so that at least the employers who you know at least the larger employers in new york and kind of um 
you know, in, in the country where tech employers have started recognizing like that, you know, that, that full stack academy or, or, or really the, the coding bootcamp space in general can actually have, is actually like a legitimate place to hire uh, engineers. And so, you know, like we've, like when we started, we would never have imagined that Google would even give an interview to one of our graduates, whereas today they're hiring like tens of um, them as developers. So take me through the program. What does it look like? How long is it? Uh, is it during the day, in the evening? Um, and and what, uh, what types of courses are being taught? And, you know, we call it a boot camp, so that means it's, it's uh, pretty intense, pretty immersive. Uh, just talk a little bit about the experience that if somebody comes into uh, Full Stack Academy, what, what will that experience be like and what will they learn? So um, essentially the experience starts with the admissions process. Um, and the, the, the reason I, I mentioned that is that, um, is that it's actually a part of our formula to select someone who is, you know, who is really a good fit for our program and someone whom we can actually keep the promise, right? Our promise is a very ambitious promise. Um, so it starts with the admissions process. Um, somebody will study the basics and the fundamentals themselves or they or they'll take one of our, uh, kind of very basic classes for for getting introduction to uh, getting introduced to programming. Um, then they go through our course, which is a seventeen week uh, course. The there's a there's a portion of it which is remote. There's a four week portion which is remote, and then there's a three month portion where they're on campus full time, six days a week. Um, you know, basically they have to quit their job, and that portion is very. It's very, um, it's like laid out by the minute. And so, you know, we really maximize their use of time. We don't want to waste their time here. Um, it's not the, you know, it, it's not like we have um, like years, right? Like we're talking about weeks that we have to teach something which is substantial. Um, and so, you know, in that way, that's why we call it a bootcamp because it really does feel like uh, something which is very intense. And, and what we tell students is that during this period, you should use us as an excuse to get out of anything that, you know, like if you have family obligations, you can always blame it on full stack. <laughs> they're making me, they're making me stay uh, so late, you know, um, because that's one, that's part of what we provide the student is we provide them a, a means of which to focus, like to really focus on one thing for three months, which is really rare, you know, in our lives these days. Um, and so once they go through that 17 week course, after that, um, and, and also, by the way, during the 17-week course, we also really help them get better at the theoretical part of computer science so that they can perform well in kind of like the traditional programming job interview where you're solving, uh, you know, like kind of more theoretical algorithm puzzles. Um, and so they're, they're doing that also so that they can, uh, they can get better at that. Once they graduate, they start looking for a job. Um, if you see our website, you'll see that, um, you know, one of the things that we've been leading the industry on is transparency in our outcomes. Um, in fact, we co-founded a group recently called SIR, which stands for, um, it stands for Council for Integrity in Results Reporting. And, um, and it's, a, it's a very rigorous, rigorously transparent standard of what percentage of our students get employed and at what kind of uh, um, payment levels, basically like what, what, what salaries. Um, and I think in the last year, we had um, something like 87% of our students 
were, uh, were employed as software engineers within 180 days after graduation. And by the way, like, you know, even though 87% is high in some contexts, it's also like a question like how come 30, 13% don't get hired? Um, well, it's because our 87% actually includes 100% of people who walk in and, you know, become students. So, you know, we don't take any exemptions, even for students that are, let's say, sophomores in college and they just go back to school, we count them as unemployed. Uh, because it didn't actually, you know, fit the strict standard of did they get a job as software engineer. So the, so the 87% is a very conservative number. Yeah, it's a very yeah. conservative number. Um, and, and anyway, so I mean, we, you know, I think we're also, we're also really proud of that because I think in order for this industry, and you know, this is a conversation, it's a different conversation, but in order for this in industry to really legitimatize itself, in order for it to last longer and for, you know, like, um, for it to be trusted, like, you know, we really have to be honest about, um, you know, outcomes. We have to be leaders in making sure that we don't, you know, even tread down anywhere close to all the problems that were happening with, like, kind of the private education world. Um, and so, yeah. So. But take me through, I mean, there's got to be, if you're going to be there six days a week for three months, you've got to keep it light somehow. So what are some of the, can you, you got any uh, stories that you can tell of, you know, maybe some lighter moments throughout uh, <laughs> throughout your last few years. No, you're you're absolutely right. A lot of our work is managing the physical, emotional, and brain energy of our students. So Nimit was saying that we plan min min things down to the minute. Um, that includes fun, and we no, <laughs> we call it forced um, forced fun. Forced yeah. fun. So we have a lot of fun activities for students. Um, hackathons on campus. They'll go and do like puzzle scavenger hunts that you need code to solve. Um, so we do make sure that there's some levity to the program and there's a lot of culture building activities because the like game nights yeah, or board games, board games are very popular among our students. And I think that we, we want to create that, um, that magic that you get on campus of really bonding with other people. Right. And so we do try to plan that and encourage that as well. But the, uh, our students tell us that it is an intense process. We, we tell them over and over again that, you know, how hard it's going to be. And they still say it's hard, but in the end, it's like we, we value the adversity, the moments of adversity in our life, I think a lot more than just coasting. So our students tell us that it's, it is an incredibly life-changing experience to go through something so difficult. Well, you mentioned that in addition to New York, you're in Chicago, and, and obviously we're interested in the, in the tech scene in Chicago, and it seems to be growing, and, and you have a, a vested interest being a graduate of the University of Illinois, Honestly, you know, what what's that scene like? Where do you, where do you see it going, and and why did you feel that it was so important to be in Chicago in addition to New York? So I just listened to uh, your interview. I think last last uh, episode with Terry Howerton, and he captured a lot of the reasons why I think Chicago is an amazing tech ecosystem. Right, it's growing very quickly. It's already got a lot of players who are tech companies that don't call themselves tech companies. Right, he was mentioning companies like Orbitz, Archipelago. I mean, Groupon grew up there. Um, I also think that it's something that we're, we're seeing, um, or we're hearing from kind of larger companies, is that you can hire younger people in the cities, uh, more junior experienced people, but it's harder to get, um, and as people move up their career path, for them to stay in the, the major cities like SF and New York, because, hey, where am I going to have a house? Like, where am I going to send my kid to school? Right? And so where Chicago, I think, has a great, you know, plan for that, right? You can... Um, as a kind of a great area around it that you can 
move out to, or you want to build your family, it has a great um, city as well. So a lot of those people like Chicago. Another thing I really like about Chicago is um, the work that Howard Tallman is doing at 1871. I'm, I'm not sure, I mean, he'd be a great person to have on this, on, on this podcast because it, he, it's a, he's building an amazing community inside Chicago to pull together all the talent around uh, Chicago you know, engineering and, and, and entrepreneurship. And finally, I think, you know, Chicago is, it was a big connection to us for Illinois um, to be UIUC grads. Do, do we even say UIUC anymore or do we just say Illinois grads? I think there, it, it varies. I, you know, okay. I think the, the people here, we refer to it as engineering in Illinois or just Illinois, uh, but uh, there's still a lot of people from the outside still refer to it as UIUC. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we knew so many great UIUC grads that had built their careers in Chicago and we're building cool companies or management of cool companies. So we wanted to uh, really tap into that, that ecosystem there. Well, you've been around long enough to, I'm sure, have had some success stories. And I know you hinted at the fact that, uh, that Google takes graduates of full stack very seriously and have, they've been able to inundate there. You know, uh, as, you, as you look at your first uh, five years or four and a half years or whatever it is, how do you measure your success and can, can you, can you uh, enumerate the things that, uh, the outcomes that you've had uh, as a result of people that have gone through the academy? I think one thing I, I love about running full stack is that we can view our successes one person at a time, right? There's, we've never gotten so big that we have to look at like a metrics dashboard and say, this percentage of people are doing this kind of behavior, right? We know well, we can associate a face to a name for almost all of our, for all of our graduates. The, as Nimit was mentioning, our, what we're trying to do now is standardize around the industry, a, a metric that students can use to really judge the success of, you know, um, companies like us, education uh, programs like ours. And so in compiling the data for that, we were just amazed that, you know, out of thousands of graduates, how many um, had been able to receive jobs. And as Nimit mentioned, our number there was around the middle, you know, mid 80s percent. So, you know, that's thousands, at this point, hundreds if not thousands of jobs that have been you know, not created by us, but um, careers that have been kind of really accelerated by students attending full stack. I think that to me is um, it's a success, the success metric that we look at constantly is, are we delivering an amazing experience for students? And does that amazing experience translate to them getting jobs? And then do employers like hiring our students? And we continually see, hear positive feedback from them. And I think it's also interesting for us that we've heard from employers, like large employers, that they've really been reconfiguring their whole hiring pipeline to consider, you know, where do coding graduate students fit into their hiring pipeline, right? Because mm -hmm. like, unlike university, they're not all coming at the same time. They all have very different backgrounds on their resume. And so we've heard from, you know, big finance firms, companies like Google, Facebook, that um, they've really had to rethink where does talent come from in the context of coding boot camps. So that, that's also a nice one for us, I think, because, um, you know, we, we still give a lot of credence to the hiring process at those companies um, and that they're able to focus for good, good people. And so it's good to know that our students fit into that category. Well, I'm sure over time, the number of coding jobs continues to rise. Just talk about some of the, the jobs that didn't exist when you first started or maybe 10 years ago that do now. And, and where do you see this heading? Well, Nimit has a, Nimit has a joke. I don't know if it's a joke, but he's, he's like, 
the, uh, the number one job of a programmer is to create more jobs for programmers. And I think that we've seen that is that as like code permeates every industry, it creates more work for programmers, right? Integrations, marketplaces, and just things also, that like, you know, programmers are the, um, they're uh, in some ways they're the raw material of a, uh, of a tech company where, you know, they, you know, having more programmers allows the tech company to grow and to build more products and to serve more people. And, you know, then more people get interested in technology. And so it's like a really positive cycle where the, you know, increasing number of programmers actually also increases the market for the requirement of programmers. And I think, you know, of course, there's probably some point at which this kind of, you know, kind of tails off. But I think that that, that, that point is definitely not here yet where, you know, where we see that the hunger for needing programmers is only growing and our companies who hire out of, uh, out of full stack, uh, once they actually kind of taste the fruit in a sense, like once they really see that, Hey, this is a place to reliably hire, um, programmers who are in the know, who don't need, um, who don't need to be, um, modernized, um, you know, that they actually want to hire more because they feel now they, they find all kinds of uses, uh, you know, because when there was a scarcity of programmers, um, you weren't even thinking about what to do with, uh, you know, like more programming talent. Um, as far as the jobs um, that our students get, the, the majority of them are in product engineering roles, right? So writing the backend and front-end code for web applications. Uh, we do see, you know, and then now because we see so many companies moving to, you know, software as a service web applications, we see a lot of roles for, um, what I would consider like solutions engineering, sales engineering, right? You've adopted my SaaS application, and how do you integrate it into your enterprise? So those are, I would say, the um, majority of the roles that we see. I think also, you know, as companies are increasingly automating processes and getting business processes online, they need people who can understand that, how that works, um, modify it as requirements change, and then understand the data that that generates, right? It just generates... Um, I mean, I think companies generate so much data that they don't even know how to draw insights from, right? So that's another area that we see our students um, starting to go into is, you know, you can't, you can't be a data analyst if you don't understand how the underlying systems work, at least at a um, conceptual level, right? If not code line by code line. So we see that, I would say those are the three major categories. And of course, you know, we continue to see high demand in um, marketing, um, you know, marketing as a marketing moves increasingly online. Um, and I also feel like the bar is just, you know, rising now, like to be a marketing analyst today, that's coming out of college. Like, I feel like there's just a higher technical bar than there used to be. Yeah. And that, you know, because a lot of those students, they are going through coding boot camps, And even though they have a lot of marketing knowledge, they're also programmers now. And so in the hiring market, of course, those people are going to be more desirable than somebody who only has a marketing knowledge. And so it's, it's also just raising the bar, I think. Yeah. Like I can't imagine, I mean, probably 10 years ago, you could be a marketing associate and just know Word, PowerPoint, maybe something like Illustrator or you know, like Adobe Photoshop. But now if you don't know HTML and CSS, at least, I mean, you're going to be you know, cut out from a lot of opportunities. So I think it's just, it's programming and the ability to kind of use areas where programming um, helps. It's just, it's just permeating a lot of different fields. And I would, I guess that, that people are interested in enhancing their own portfolio and this is something that, as you mentioned, it's, it's become almost a necessity as opposed to, you know, like an icing on the cake, if you will, and, and uh, what their portfolio looks like and, and the skills that they have. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
my dad used to say that like when he graduated from high school, going to college was not a given thing. Like it wasn't that like every single person coming out of high school was going to college. Um, and it was still kind of like a novelty of going to college. Um, and, and I think, you know, but like on the other hand today, you know, today I think going to college, at least some kind of college is, is much more common. It's much more normal. And like, you know, everyone's pushing it. And I think, you know, that something like that will happen for coding knowledge as well, where, you know, eventually it will become like a bar that you kind of need to cross to get a decent, to get like a good job. That's like, you know, a, a high, a, a higher paying job. Um, and so I think coding boot camps are definitely um, going to be very helpful in that world for people to be able to knowledge up, level up their skills in an efficient uh, and, and kind of effective manner. Well, what's next for uh, both of you and Full Stack Academy? I mean, is this something you see yourself uh, staying in for a while? Are you going to branch out? Do you have other projects that uh, you're interested in? And, you know, how do you see Full Stack Academy changing over the next few years? I would say in the short term, you know, our goal is to continue delivering a, a high-quality experience, continue to measure ourselves by, you know, very difficult and rigorous um, you know, outcome metrics so that we know that we're, we're doing well. And long term, I almost hope that Full Stack Academy is not needed, right? We want to work with, um, want to work inside the context of the education industry, you know, the education industry to make sure that coding is um, accessible to more people to, and people when they're, when they're younger. So we're always thinking about how do we help out at, you know, I mean, I think even college is kind of late to get people started on program, right? Um, I think high schools need to get yeah. in the game, right? Like and more, um, in, in a more serious way. So, so we're always exploring with you know, universities and, and governments of, of how, you know, how we can be part of that conversation about getting coding um, just more widespread. Because I think you know, one thing that really resonates with both me and Nimit is that we just had incredible access to technology at a very important time in its development, right? We both had computers as kids and were able to tinker on them. And that, that wasn't true for a lot of, you know, people of our age. And I think that um, I worry a little bit about kids growing up these days with almost like devices that are too close off. Because I do, I, I also, because I like Steve Jobs, what he says, like the computer is a bicycle for the mind. And right. if you don't know how to use the tool, you're going to be held back compared to people who are, you know, very adept at it. So we're always thinking about how do we make it more accessible to more people. And I think, you know, for the overall benefit of just, seeing what, you know, the more people who are working on cool stuff in it, the more benefit that we'll all get um, as, as users of the, of, the, of the computer and of the internet. Yeah, what a great message for uh, the education world, higher ed, and from the very beginning that get people integrated. Um, yeah, we've, I've heard amazing stories about UIUC's um, growth of their CS curriculum and that you can't even get in anymore. I mean, it's, that you couldn't, uh, it's really difficult to get into it. I think it's a good sign that people are, excited about it, really looking into it. And I think that, um, you know, it's just, it's an incredible time to be alive as a human being, right? Where we're, I tell students who are worried that we're living inside of multiple exponential functions, right? And so um, a lot will change in even our own lifetime. And I think that's true. All right, anything else that uh, we didn't cover that you felt like should be important uh, in discussing uh, programming world and as it relates to full stack one, academy um one one small thing that that we didn't mention is um um at full stack uh, about 18 months ago we launched a program called the grace hopper program which is a 
um, it's a it's basically a software engineering school for women. Um, and I think you know this is a conversation we didn't touch on too much, but you know th that's definitely an area that I feel the whole industry needs work in, which is right. um, just like the area of uh, of diversity. And one of the things that we do in in this program, so this is a school for women, but like one of the key things is is that it also um, is a tuition deferred program so that students pay tuition um, after they get a job and only if they get a job um, after graduating from the program. And so the, you know, the really important uh, thing there is that it allows people who are, uh, you know, basically um, prospective women engineers who are capable, uh, ambitious, and they can get into our program, um, even if they don't have the funds to do our program, like, it kind of aligns the availability of funds to when they do have a job and they're able to pay us back. And so we've graduated close to, um, so we've had close to 200, um, you know, female engineers come through this program so far. And, you know, it's, and, it, and it's been, um, it's still in somewhat of an experiment phase, but, you know, it's, it's done very well. And it's something that, you know, we're, we're, we're proud of. Like our, our, our gender ratio as a institution has, um, it's, it's dangerously close to 50 50. Um, and if we're not too careful, we may actually get to it. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, I suppose, yeah. but no, it's, it's very positive. And we're seeing that here uh, on campus as well, that, that the, a very high percentage of, of our um, freshmen are, are, are women. And so I think that's a very positive, will have a positive impact on the industry. Yep, that's good to hear. All right, gentlemen, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate uh, your taking the time to joining us here on Illinois Innovators and uh, keep us informed of uh, things that are going on. And uh, we look forward to, to following your success down the road. Yeah, and thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's been, uh, it's been great so far and looking forward to the future episodes. We've been talking about, um, maybe we should launch it. David, I have been talking about a special UIUC alum-only scholarship to full stack. Um, so maybe we'll let you know when we... Uh, when, we, when we do uh, come up with that. But yeah, we definitely have um, very sweet and, um, you know, we just have really great memories of our memories, time. At, yeah. yeah, fond memories at UIUC. And it was just so important in, you know, first us even meeting um, and secondly in kind of making us, you know, like the people that we are. And so yeah. I really appreciate that always. Okay. I appreciate, uh, again, you joining us and, and best of luck. All right. Thank you so thank much. You. That concludes today's Illinois Innovators podcast. My thanks to our guests, David Yang and Nimit Maru from Fullstack Academy. You can read more about their work at fullstackacademy.com. As a reminder, you can subscribe to our podcast by searching Engineering at Illinois on iTunes or SoundCloud. And visit engineering.illinois news for the latest from the University of Illinois College of Engineering. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Thanks for listening.